3: Love Talk Radio.
0: There is no earthly way of mowing. <laughs> Good man, a lot of time. Which direction we are going. That Camino. It would have been D.W.I. have reached a Tipping Point.
4: Good evening, good evening, and welcome to the Tipping Point. Tonight, promoter extraordinaire Gary Lamb will be on with us, and a number of other guests Uh, related to, of course, the passing of Dan Masters. We're going to talk a lot about Dan Masters. Uh, Ben Masters is going to be here, um, amongst possibly other people. But um, doing this tonight with me is uh, Larry Goodman. Of course, Larry, how are you doing tonight?
3: I am uh, doing okay. Um, Unfortunately, I have to amend what you just said about uh, the second half of the show which was going to feature um Ben Masters talking about the um the life of Dan Masters and um Ben interview is not going to take place and um uh, I'll explain further about that when we get after we have um the first segment yeah. with Gary on but it's a, it's it's unfortunate and um it's it's also unfortunate because uh, Ben had actually lined up Rob Van Dam to uh, be a part of the show and talk about Dan as well. Um, but any in any case, we'll get to that after um, we talk with Gary. But, um,
4: yeah. So, um, you know, we're going to have Gary Lam on, and not only is he going to talk about Still Here For, um, fourth anniversary show of Southern Honor, Larry, in case we want another reminder that time marches ever forward, but um, <laughs> he, he has, a, he has a, a fight promotion, like an MMA fight promotion that he wants to talk about um, that's going to have their first show in January, which was really the thing that sort of sparked me to want to have Gary on here, mm-hmm. um, because, you know, he's a, he's a man of many talents. He's not, I mean, I, would, I don't think he would be insulted if I said this. He's not um, a wrestling promoter first. Um, He's not even a, a, he's just a guy who's really good at promoting in general, and he happened to sort of step into the wrestling world four years ago, but he's always looking for that next thing, always that next venture, Um, and so we're going to talk about that fight promotion, which I'm, I'm fascinated by, honestly, that he's actually getting this thing going.
3: You know though before we get to Gary um of course we had another um obviously very famous wrestling personality pass away uh last week Antonio Anoki and I know you put up a uh Patreon uh mm-hmm. video about about him and I wondered and you there was so much good information there and I know you have a you know a unique perspective having grown up in Hawaii and being uh, half Japanese and actually training in Japan. And I wonder if you could yeah. just share some of the, the bullet points of, of your thoughts about Inoki before we get to Gary.
4: So, you know, I guess the bullet points would be that um, it's, it's common knowledge that he and Baba were rivals, uh, but maybe not everybody knew um, how – the two of them were actually, you know, disciples of Zan, And he had other disciples, but none of them were nearly as successful as Inoki and Baba. And they were, to me, Inoki and Baba, I worship Baba, right? I cite him as a booking influence and that kind of thing. But they were really the opposite sides of the same coin. Inoki was definitely more of the sort of flamboyant celebrity type, he married. He was married multiple times, but one of the times he was married to a starlet. Um, Baba was very traditional. Um, you know, Inoki loved the sort of attention that wrestling got him and tried all, you know, he was sort of a pioneer of mixed martial arts. Um, I saw that, like, Dana White, amongst others, sort of acknowledged the death of Inoki just to sort of acknowledge how, like, mired in combat sports, Inoki was, you know. He loved judo, loved, um, you know, was a pioneer of a number of wrestling groups that sort of skirted that line of shoot fighting and real fighting. And, um, you know, just a fascinating figure. Um, ultimately, you know, he promoted the greatest, I mean, to me, this 14, 15-year-old me, the greatest match Potentially in history, which was the uh, the, the island death match. But Enoki always had his fingers on the pulse of society. Like, he picked that island for a reason, because it was the site of one of the most famous real duels in history. Like, Enoki was infinitely aware of, of the things to do to appeal to people on an emotional level. Um, whether that was, you know, fighting Muhammad Ali, which the Japanese did not regard as a failure, but Inoki overcoming all odds that the West threw at him, that no matter how, how the rules were made to hurt Inoki, you know, where he had to keep one hand on the ground and all this other stuff, Inoki found a way to win. That was the way it was presented. And, um, I, I mean, just a very unique character. I would say if you had a Mount Rushmore of just sheer influence, Um, Inoki was on there, along with, you know, Santos, um, probably Vince McMahon. And I don't know who you want to put there as the fourth, but, uh, you know, when you have the big three, I think it's Santos, it's Inoki, and it's McMahon, as far as just the outsized guys in pro wrestling history.
3: Well, you know, to that point, uh, I was listening to Meltzer talking about Inoki, and one of the points he made was in terms of on an international frame, of course, Inoki – Anoki uh didn't have like super notoriety stardom in the United States, but internationally he certainly did um so you know that was a you know compared to McMahon even on an international level he was extremely yeah. uh influential could could you speaking of mcMahon could you talk a little bit about his purchase of the w w f title?
4: Yeah, so um, Baba and Inoki were huge rivals, and on more than one occasion, Baba had purchased the right to be NWA world champion. And it was easier for Baba to do than Inoki. They both tried, but Baba succeeded because ultimately people liked working for Baba more than Inoki. Um, I think um, Bruno San Martino famously said Baba is the only promoter That if he went broke tomorrow I would go wrestle for him for free To to help him hmm. um, And You know And when when Baba wrestled in the States And you know Baba was a huge Man and it was really hard I think Bruno San Martino actually like, Gave him a Cadillac that he could Roll around in for example So um, so he had purchased this NWA title in, in the effort to show I'm better than Inoki. And Baba did this throughout their lives. He sort of like uh, – he was always one-upping Inoki. And so Inoki's like, I need to win a world title too <laughs> in the United States. And so basically purchased it from the WWF. They've never acknowledged it, but he beat, he beat Backland And then six days later – was supposed to lose it back but came up with some kind of weird technicality where he didn't lose it and it was considered, like, held up. And then there was a match that took place that didn't involve Inoki where Backlund, quote, unquote, won it back. So Inoki not only sort of won the title, quote, unquote, he didn't want to lose it back conventionally because he thought that that looked – that didn't look very good. Plus, Baba, I think, held the NWA title technically for, like, two weeks. So he didn't want to lose the WWF (laughs) world title in less than two weeks. I mean, that's how heady their rivalry went. And so instead, it was just like, well, I never lost it. (laughs) And, um, yeah, so he purchased that thing. Again, the WWF has never acknowledged it. Even at um, Inoki's Hall of Fame induction in 2010, I think it was, they – They made a joke about it, but never officially said it. And so, you know, it's funny how that, you know, because that would be besmirching the title. Not Vince McMahon winning it. (laughs) No, no, that doesn't besmirch their title. But, you know, that Inoki is part of wrestling history before the Vince McMahon era even happened, uh, purchased the thing. So fascinating, weird bit of, like, wrestling. And, you know, I, I would say this about Inoki as well it's true that he never like crossed over. It's always been the dream of any Japanese wrestler to sort of cross over and be a huge star in the States. And it's never really happened. However, I would say that the opinion of Inoki from American wrestling people, um, is sort of universal admiration. everybody, Uh, Everybody in wrestling knows the name Inoki, and they all worship him. The same is not the same for the name, say, Vince McMahon in Japan.
1: The WWF
4: Mm. is always perceived as having failed every time they've tried to get into the Japanese market. Um, Time and time again, they've tried um, in different shapes and forms. If you look at some of the cards, of the WWF cards, WWE N F cards over the years in Japan, they're stunningly good, but they were just never able to break into that market. Boris Enoki, I think you know, he's people know who he is, he's famous. Is he is he one of the biggest stars in the United States of course not, but I think there is something to be said for the fact that um he's one of probably two or three names that don't just blur together. If you ask your average person, you know, Fujinami, they would not really be able to pick him out of a lineup. But I think it's safe to say anybody in American wrestling knows who Inoki is and knows what his Q rating is high. Like they Mm -hmm. know who he is. They know what he looks like. They certainly know about new Japan pro wrestling who, which is his ultimate legacy. So in that sense, Um, you could argue internationally he's bigger than Vince McMahon in the sense that Inoki would be known everywhere, um, whereas McMahon wouldn't really be known in certain pockets of wrestling, as hard as that is for us to believe.
3: Well, and Inoki also, just in terms of Japanese sports, in uh, a listing of the top ten sports figures of all time in Japan he was right up there. I mean, he wasn't at the top. I think like the, the, the baseball player, Oh, and a couple, you know, a couple of the sumos were ahead of him, but like just in sports, top 10, he was, he was way up there.
4: Yeah. And he's the one, you know, when you look at the top sports figures, he's the only one who was actually Japanese, um, which, uh-huh. you know, was a little thing I throw in the video. Like that, you know, Sarada Oh is Korean. Um, you know, you know um all you know inoki's mentor korean um inoki though he was you know a lot of his life happened in brazil and you know there's some dispute about his lineage that's another like sort of like kept secret that they're not quite sure if he was japanese or not <laughs> like he might have been Okinawan, which is not quite Japanese, and, you know, these kind of nuances. But it's one of these things that once you make it, they blame you. Like certainly any Japanese person, if you said, you know, Colorado O, they go like, oh, yeah, that guy's Japanese, but he's not. <laughs> so, like, that's fascinating to me as well, that Inoki is on that short list of guys who, even though there's things about him that should be sort of put him on a lower tier they're ignored in favor of just you know he was that magnificent of a a sort of figure Uh, like I said I mean to see uh, to see in person Japanese men who are so stoic Mm -hmm. absolutely lose their shit at Inoki's music was my eyes were like, I can't believe what I'm Like, this doesn't even seem real. There's no figure in wrestling where that applies, where they get a reaction that literally nobody else gets. That's an unheard of, that is an unprecedented thing that will never be repeated, where for one guy, we have a special reaction because of how we feel about him. And so I, I'm sure Inoki, because he was sort of a petty dude by all accounts, um, was probably super mad. Baba, um, you know, kind of upended him at multiple turns. He should take solace in the fact that he was the more beloved, I think, out of he and Baba. But Baba was perhaps, to many, more respected. I think that's a good way to see Noki versus Baba.
3: Well, in... in... Beloved, yes, but certainly not free of scandal. Inoki, no, um, I mean he, he he served as a senator, but he, uh, he was involved with the yakuza, and um, yeah, but I guess that was overlooked. Yeah,
4: yeah, I mean I even, even in my video I sort of acknowledged that, right? Where it's like I'm not even getting to like all this like criminal scandal stuff of which there was plenty, and again it, it it's, it's hard to make people understand how pervasive the Yakuza was throughout Japanese society. There are like pillars of their society and the Yakuza used to just be one of them. You know, Um, they were just seen as again, Asians tend to see, this is a broad stroke, but I'm going to go ahead and make it. Asians tend to see things like corruption and criminality, not as negative, or or things to be avoided and rooted out, but as obstacles to be overcome. And, you know, um, Inoki was Japanese, and that's what you did. Like, this is, you know, they're they're mired in the wrestling business, and certainly they were in all Japan and every other form of Japanese wrestling as well. They all dealt with them, Um, you know, to the point where Inoki's mentor died at the hands of the Yakuza, literally.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um,
4: But Inoki did manage to divest himself from them by the end when he sold I mean, I don't remember the exact year he sold New Japan um, but he sold them to basically um, part of the reason that the it was basically a sporting group that bought them. And the reason the sporting group won is they probably offered less money but they were seen as scandal free so it's a lot yeah. of the reason that they buy it <clears throat> and so you know so he managed to I, I wouldn't say come out clean on the other side but he was a he was a master he was a master showman i mean even the things he did as a politician where he went and freed he i mean he went over to Iraq just to, i mean just how crazy this is think about this So Inoki just goes, oh, there's a number of Japanese nationals that Saddam Hussein has because they closed off the country once conflict started happening. And so Inoki just flew himself over there and basically negotiated the release of almost all of them. I mean, you know, where people were like, that's absolutely crazy. You might get killed. You might be a hostage yourself. But Inoki has this always this outsized confidence in himself, you know, like, oh, they won't do shit to me, I'm a Noki, (laughs) which, I mean, which panned out, and so he actually got to have a political career of, I wouldn't say like significant note, like he passed all of these bills, but he stayed in office a lot longer than most, than than you would think if you were just a sort of novelty politician, if that makes sense.
3: Yeah, yeah. Well, for those who uh, want to hear more about Steve talking about Inoki, check out his uh, Patreon. It's uh, up on uh, gwhnewsnotes.bots.com. You can find a link to it, and there's more than what we spoke of here. But right now we've got the owner, promoter, yeah, baby of Southern Honor Wrestling is joining us on the tipping point. Hopefully this is Gary Lamb. What's up, gentlemen? Hey. My God,
2: I haven't heard this voice in quite quite some time. How are you doing, Gary? It is a sexy fucking voice, too. I know that you're going to sleep (laughs) a lot better than I hear you. (laughs) (laughs) Gary. Gary, of course we're going
4: to get it to still here for. But really the reason, it was my idea to bring you on, believe it or not. And the reason I thought of it was, I was looking at you, um, I was looking at a post of yours talking about your fight leak, and I was like, "Yes, man, you know, we need to talk about this. This is, this is a big, big deal. We need to talk about it. People need to go to this thing. People need to know about it. So what was your, I know you've tried to get it, get some form of it started before. What is happening? How is this thing actually coming off in January? What Walk us through that because it's
2: fascinating. It has been a long process. I mean, me and I know if you guys remember Tim Holman or not, we're going to start a league before, and Mm -hmm. uh, that was – we were set for our first show. We had just put tickets on sale, and I think the day we put tickets on sale was the day Governor Kipp shut down Georgia. And Mm -hmm. so – Obviously, that got bumped, and it's it 's much more regulated than wrestling where we were able to do some wrestling stuff kind of undercover or a little more loosely when the state opened back up. You definitely were not allowed to do a um, athletic commission sanctioned uh, fight league, so life happened, kind of went away, um, got focused on some other things, and then we have a guy here in town his names Warren Thompson. He's actually the North American heavyweight champion for um, lion, um, lion fights. And so um, yeah. me and him just kind of connected, started talking, and I said, man, I had this crazy dream. I always wanted to start this fight league. And I said, but the reality is I don't know much about it. I mean, I know how to promote. I know how to get a crowd. I know how to put on a show. And um, what we call a booker, they call a matchmaker. And so okay. um, he said, man, I'm, I'm getting older in life, and he was it's about time for me to retire, I've been wanting to get into matchmaking. And I said, well, shit, let's do this. Um, in the previous thing, I didn't have a lot to do with the legalities of it. Tim handled a lot of that. So um, I was kind of ignorant about the process. I mean, I'm used to dealing with the Georgia Athletic Commission when it comes to wrestling. Send in your application and your $50 once a year. And, yeah. um, man, that is not the case with um, with a fight league, with MMA or kickboxing or boxing or Muay Thai, or um, it is a process, and yeah. so it was probably a 20-page application. I mean, we had to get – I didn't even know there was such a thing as a promoter's bond, so we had to get a promoter's bond, had to get a event bond, which I'm used to that for my festivals that I do, um, so we had to do all of that. We had to get trademark issues. You had to go before the commission. Um If there's already sanctioned leagues, they can actually come and oppose you starting. It was a crazy thing. Lucky there's only one other league. There's only one other league in the state of Georgia, and he's super unhappy that we're starting. But Mm. at the end of the day, he really didn't have a leg to stand on. And um, so the commission approved us unanimously um, for monetary reasons because the way bonds run, they run January from December. So even if you take out a bond, December 1st. It expires December 31st. So if you take out a bond January 1st, it's good till December 31st. So for financial reasons, we decided to run January. That way our bond – because it's a substantial amount of money for the bond. So instead of it being good for three months, it allows it to be good for 12 months. So what I mean, if, inciting, is, if, if that isn't some red tape nonsense, right,
4: I pay for this bond and be, depending on the time of year that I get it, it it's only it could be conceivably only good for two days in theory. right? Well, and I'll
2: be honest. Steve, you might have a little more knowledge. I'm still a little confused what a bond even is. Like no one can give me a it guarantees that I'll pay what I'm supposed to pay. But to put in the application, I have to pay it, so I've already paid it. So I don't understand what – they're worried about me not paying. So I it's kind it's of a the, weird the, thing. It's
4: the old adage of if you've got good credit then we charge you less for interest. But if you have bad yeah. credit, which shows that you are most likely can't afford it, then we just charge you a whole lot more money. It's one of those ridiculous well,
2: paradoxes. So that was yeah. an interesting thing with dealing with the commission. So I've never been a gambler. Yeah. I'm not a guy who bets. That is their whole deal. So they wanted to know my cr- – I had to show them my credit score. I had to show them my financials because they want to know that you're not in bad financial shape. So you're not doing this to start rigging fights. Right. And um like that was a big deal which was I was kind of I was ignorant in, you know, I was just like, Man, I, but you know, they they don't I don't want to be slipping they don't want me slipping Steve five hundred dollars and then betting underground ten thousand that he's gonna lose, you know what I mean?
3: Right. And
2: so they judge that by your finances. If if it looks like you're in trouble financially, then you don't get the license. And so that was kind of interesting to me. It it was very eye-opening to me, and every wrestling promoter in the state of Georgia should be thankful for the commission and lay very low and never stir it up. Yep. Absolutely. I remember when we started Southern Honor. Don't you remember, Steve? There was a guy kind of stirring it up about the commission.
4: APW. And you went on a rampage. That's
2: kind of when I first met you. Yeah. Wrestling people would never – I don't even mean that in a mean way. 90% 90% of your wrestling promotions would go away if you had to pay the money that this – I mean, every – It's not more, $2, 500 right? $2,500 in fees for every show. <laughs> Let that sink in and, for a
4: minute. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, so, so, Gary, what can, we, uh, what can we look forward to as far as the nuts and bolts of the card? About, about yeah. how many fights are there going to be?
2: That kind of thing. So I'm learning this whole process. So right now we have 16 fights matched. Um, Your hope is by the time it gets – well, your hope is that you know you're going to lose 25% of them is what I've been sold. So your hope is you still have 12 matches, Mm. um, 12 fights, because here's the the difference between wrestling. We have to turn in the lineup 30 days in advance. So say a guy doesn't make weight on Friday. I just can't pick another random guy and put him in his place. So if six guys don't make weight, those six fights are off the card. Wow. So, you know, if if a guy gets – I know we don't live in this time much anymore, but if a guy gets COVID during the week, you don't get to find a replacement for him. You have to turn in the fight card 30 days in advance, and the commission has to approve it. So it's not like if Cyrus doesn't show up tomorrow, I got another guy backstage, and I just plug him in. Right. Right. So then you have to allow for the fact that you might have a fight that the guy gets knocked out in 15 seconds. Yeah. So you overbook the card with the hope of being out in two and a half to three hours. I'm very much learning it. I'm, I'm being very intentional this time of learning a little more of the um, in-ring stuff and what goes into putting the matches together than I than I have in wrestling. Um because I just want to make sure I understand this business because it's a lot more of a financial risk on my end. But they also sure. are the rewards a lot greater. Yeah. You know, I mean, you're selling VIP tables for $1,250, and we haven't even put them up for sale, and there are already eight of them sold, you know? Yeah. So, Ooh. you know, your general admission tickets are $35. Your front row tickets are $75, you know? Yeah, completely different so scale. It's, it's, right. So it's an interesting thing, but, you know, what I think we're going to bring to the table, I hope, is what we brought to the table. I know what I'm going to bring to the table is what we brought to the table in wrestling, high production, um, making it an event, um, making these guys, these guys are used to, I mean, the competition right now has their fights at the Pink Pony parking lot under a tent. So, I mean, you know, to be able to come to our building and have intro videos and, and have B-roll footage, and to do some of the stuff we're going to do, we think it's going to help them raise their game with the ability to them get exposed. So I'm hoping what we can do is kind of what we did in wrestling, take something that the competition had got very comfortable with and didn't feel the need to um, take a risk and take it up a notch and give these guys something they haven't been able to experience on a local or a regional level. Are,
4: are you going to use the same, like, well, I shouldn't say exactly the same, but are you going to use the, a lot of the people that kind of help you with the production elements at Southern Honor? Or Yeah, are we're going to use a lot of those. So I, already
2: hired, I already hired Nathan, Maori and yeah. Time Punk. You know, Dylan will be part of anything I do. My production team at Southern Honor is my production team on a lot of my events, so they'll be there. All of my crew that you saw the time you came up as far as set up, tear down, running the door, that crew will be in place. Um, I'll be moving some people around just because, again, you have to have a, an athletic commission board member has to be at everything. You have to have someone there catering to that person. Um, yeah. You know, the bookkeeping is very different. I mean, obviously they're checking every ticket. But also even the fights, like the amateur fights, they have to be recorded because they have to have so many amateur fights before they can go pro. The pro fights have to be recorded in certain ways because it goes on their permanent record. So the paperwork is way more exhaustive than anything you can imagine with wrestling. Yeah.
3: Wow. wow, And it's a a weird thing too.
2: Go ahead. I'm sorry.
3: No, do you have have thoughts about how often you would want to put on an event?
2: Yeah, so mm. we're going to do four next year, one a quarter. Mm. So okay. um, and try to expand that probably the next year um, because they do have some good contacts. They have some good contacts in Savannah. They have some good contacts up north around that Chattanooga line. And it's weird. I, I want to be real careful because I don't want to come across as talking down about anything. But me and Steve have talked about this before. A lot of cities, a lot of influencers, wrestling's kind of carny in their world. You know what I mean? and yeah. so they don't necessarily want it. Fighting is actually just the opposite. It's it, it's weird. I said if you go back to the days of the Roman Empire, there was two things, there was the arts and there was fighting. And so uh, you know doctors, lawyers, like we're almost having to turn down sponsors for the fight league, and I've never even been able to get sponsors for wrestling. And so it's just a different mindset. Um, I, I love this quote from Dana White, and I don't want to get sidetracked. He said, if you go to a four-way intersection, and on one corner is the Super Bowl, on one corner is the World Series, one corner is the NBA playoffs, and the other corner is two rednecks fighting, everybody's going to go watch the rednecks fight. <laughs> and so we're just drawn <laughs> to two people, two people going one-on-one together. It's just something that goes into our primal nature and draws us in. And so I'm pretty excited about it. And and with everything I do, I understand I'm lucky because the biggest overhead is building and production, and I have all of that stuff.
1: hmm
4: mm-hmm. Right. Um, so. The the one event I went to uh, that I remember, Matt Myers and I love boxing, and we, and we just love combat sports in general. So we would go to anything we could. And the most successful event I saw, they had a preponderance of boxing on the card. I think that was... Back then, that was a way that you could sort of circumvent a lot of the mixed martial art rules as if it was primarily a boxing event. So they had, like, four boxing matches, but everybody knew that they were there for the three MMA matches. (laughs) Yes, so so they actually actually changed
2: it it now. Yeah. So the Uh, boxing and MMA are two different licenses. So you can't have Mm -hmm, them on the mm -hmm. same card unless you want to double up on your fees. Right, of course. Um, yeah, I of
4: course. Do you, Gary, with, um, you know, it's going to be once a quarter, which I think is right. I, I think that like, I, it just a lot of us seems like it's going to do well. Is there going to be sort of a, a streaming element to this or uh, some form where it's going to be recorded yeah, I, I do for be, purchase otherwise? I, I believe,
2: yeah, I believe we'll stream on Fight TV. We have a connection there, obviously. Um, we're already in talks with them. Um, but again, believe it or not, you have to get that approved through the commission.
1: You have to turn it mm. in.
2: You have to you have to have them access to where they can see your pay per view streams, where they can get their cut of it. So <laughs> uh, it makes you appreciate wrestling a whole lot more. <laughs> yes, <laughs> the ease in which you can do wrestling. Mm-hmm. And so, but we do plan on streaming it. Yes, I mean, obviously, we have that capability, equipment to do that. We have the building to do that. Um, it's pretty much a no-brainer for us to do that, as long as the. I, I don't even care if it makes money, as long as it doesn't lose money. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was mm-hmm. just going to ask that question. Honestly, like, I mean, what are your, um,
4: what's your threshold of pain on this thing? <laughs> Obviously, you know, you you know, it's going to take more than one event, probably, to catch up. Who knows? With you, shit, the first one might make a ton of money, and then you're off to the races. But what's your what's your you, you've always been a smart guy. You always knew when to hold them and know when to fold them. So, like, if, if, let's say, I mean, how many events would it take that, let's say, did not meet up to whatever your expectations were before you would stop doing it? I mean, or maybe you yeah. just don't even think that way.
2: Um, I'm going to run a year because you, when you put in for your date, you have to pay the fee. So I'm in for the show sure. now for a year. Um,
1: mm-hmm. So I'm
2: going to run the year. Um, but w- So one thing that works in our favor, so our first show, for example, is going to be all amateurs. So um, you don't have to pay amateurs, you know. And so we thought that was a good way to get our feet wet in it. Um, You can offer a lower ticket price. But between you, me, and the fence post over there, according to my calculations on what the overhead is going to be for my crew, what we have to do, you know, you have to buy gloves, um, the commission fees. I've already made that back in the VIP tables I've sold. And I haven't started selling tickets yet.
3: So I so, like that for a I think that it's a
2: I think it's automatically I, I maybe I'm wrong here, Steve, but I do think first show is six to seven hundred people. I mean people just love fighting and you don't get a lot of it in Georgia. There's literally no. NFC and they're the only other people doing it and they're doing it really more on the south side of Atlanta. So You get up here in North Georgia with these rednecks, they want to see people fight. And um, so I think it's going to be catching lightning in a bottle. I think it's a good niche. I think just from the feedback I've got locally, so what a lot of these fight leagues depend on, these combat sport leagues, is I bring in Steve, and then everybody that trains where Steve trains buys tickets. Well, that's not our formula. And that's kind of been a shock to everybody in the system. My, My formula is we're going to sell tickets to people. And I, I do. I think pe- the, everywhere I go in Canton, people are stopping me about the fight league, and they they're yeah. they're excited about it. People want to watch people fight, man. We're pr- like it or not. No matter how woke we become, we're primal at our nature. <laughs> and I mean, so. it's
4: and it's a thing that's unique. Whereas. I mean, you could argue that pro wrestling at times the gates are affected by. Is there a high school football game? Is there stuff that right. means more to individuals? You know, my kids, my kids playing in this football game. I'm not going to go to wrestling, right? But right. something about have, what what night of the week is this?
2: Is it is going to be on It is going to be on a Saturday night um, because cause you have Saturday to wait in for night four, <laughs> right? <laughs> So and it's good, you know. I'm in the process. I don't know if you guys know. I'm in the process. We filed the paperwork to open the distillery. So yeah. that's a natural. On mm-hmm. Friday nights, we do the weigh-ins at the distillery. We have a big pre-party there. I, I, everything I do, I always try to double dip. So now the after parties at the distillery. You know these fight these fighters want to party afterwards. It, it, I, I think it's going to be a good thing every which way that we do it. It's good. Or I'm going to go it's break and really we'll find out.
4: <laughs> <laughs> well, let's uh, let's get it in about s- still here for. Um, so it's Friday night, yes, yeah, it's this Friday, and so you got Buff Bagwell coming in. You've got VP's not coming. Oh, Teddy Long is coming in. Yeah. Um, what's the, what's the? I mean, you're always honest about this kind of stuff. What's the general feeling going into this event, and how do you feel about it? Because now you're four years in, right? This isn't a new thing. You're not the, like the scrappy guy who's going to show everybody that you can do it. You're, you're the standard, right? So yeah, I feel, what is, what are your feelings feel, going into this event?
2: I feel good. I, I think that the two shows a year for us that we know have become events are Rumble Jack and still here. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so I judge everything by the interaction before. So the people hitting us up about tickets, you know, we don't do not do pre anymore. They go on sell the day of ever since COVID. So people asking for extra seats though, the DMs have been going crazy this week. Um, people messaging, "Hey, I got ten people coming. Hey, can we tailgate at this time in the parking lot?" So I feel good going in. I don't think we're trying to prove ourselves anymore. Um, I think we've got a good card. Um, I, I feel comfortable. Now I'm going to throw this number out here, and then I'm going to. If we're below it, I'm going to be a failure. But I, I feel like in our sleep we have 500. Pr- plus people Friday night. Um yeah. I hope anyway. That's just that's the vibe I get. And so and, and it is a good car. Every year we do the war chamber. So it's two cages, two rings. People eat that up. I mean you got Kyle Matthews and Chip Day two out of three. You got Judas and Cyrus and the last man standing. I mean, it, it's a good vibe. It's interesting to get to the point where you have guys like Mark and guys like Teddy Long like they called us asking, could they come? Like that's a pretty good feeling when those guys know, hey, I'll come for free. Can I just do a meet and greet? <laughs> and yeah. so, um, obviously, we're not we're not gonna tell them no. And so, especially in this, we always try to we, we kind of moved away from bringing in meet and greet people after about our second year, but for this one, it's such a long intermission as they get the two cages set up that it was a natural thing to do mm, to put out in the lobby. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. And so we're excited about that. Obviously the connection with Dallas and Dallas's connection with Mark right now. And I don't know if you know this. Mark actually went to my church for about a year and a half, two years. So I know him. Um, oh! so so, you know, his brother was actually an elder at our church for years. And um wow. so there's I, I did I did Judy's funeral. And so um so there's that connection. So I'm a second-chance guy. I'm a 10,000-chance guy. So, I mean, he's got his demons. I, is he used everywhere in the state? Absolutely. But here's the deal. I'm looking forward to having him in the building. And just from that standpoint of knowing him, I'm excited for him to see what we're doing. Because I think in his mind, he's thinking American Legion, 50 people showing up. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> so you feel a little proud. Saying, hey, man, remember? I remember talking to Mark about this six years ago. And I bet I could start a wrestling promotion here, you know. So I'm excited for him to see
3: that. Cool. So, Gary, when, so when you I, yeah. started this four years ago, did, did you have any idea you'd still be doing this four years later? You know, our joke was all –
2: and our, our still, our, still our joke is, let's do it five years and end it. So, um, but I don't know that I thought I'd be doing it four years. It's weird. In some ways, it feels like we just started – and then in some ways, I feel like I've been doing this shit forever. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it just depends on what day of the week you're talking. I, in some ways, I can't remember not being part of Georgia Wrestling, you know. I'm sure Georgia Wrestling remembers me not being part of it, but I can't remember. <laughs> and, um, you know, so it's weird. It's kind of – it's something that I have – I enjoy doing it. I think people don't think I do. I started this because my son was into it. Here's the deal. My son's not into wrestling anymore. He's into football now. He's got older. And I still enjoy doing it. I always say I'm done, and then it gets show day, and I love it. And I love watching the families and the kids show up and the people connecting. And I don't see us shutting it down anytime soon. um, I I do. I enjoy it. I don't feel as – Assholeish about it anymore. I don't feel like I have anything to prove. I don't know that I have that chip on my shoulder that I used to have. I just enjoy doing what we do. The first Friday of every month in Canton, people seem to enjoy it. Um, I try to keep up with the gossip and the scoops every now and then when I'm when I'm slowed down, but I'm so out of the loop on a lot of what goes on anymore. I I, I used to always say I only keep up with Southern Honor. We knew that was full of shit. Like, but now I like, only keep up with Southern Honor because it's all I have time to keep up with,
4: you know. And,
2: and I mean, I think
4: we're in a time of – I think we're in a very different space. I, you know, COVID was a year-and-a-half chunk out of the middle there. And uh, I, I always say that we're – it feels like we're in a time of peace in the sense that yeah. you really don't have leagues fighting with – like, you have to go to the deathmatch world to see leagues that are, like, fighting each other in this petty way. Everybody yeah. else, and, and,
2: I mean – It's just kind of in their own space and doing their own thing. Yeah, and I like to tell Dylan that – Dylan says that to me too, and I always tell Dylan. I say, well, I just think it's that we're so much better than anybody else that there's no point in fighting. And then he rolls his (laughs) eyes and ignores me. But I think everyone's just found their niche. I think Matt and Action have found their niche. I think David Manders has found his niche. We've found our niche. Um, You know, it's funny. I hear a lot about Anarchy right now. So it sounds like they're back in their niche, you know? And so it's really – the I hear about the four or five – I don't want to say bigger groups, but maybe the four or five more known promotions. And it's almost like everyone has just got their head down and they're plowing forward, and they're just – they're not really paying attention to what everyone else is doing anymore. And um, I think that's good, but I also think it, it gets boring a little bit sometimes, I guess. I mean, But I thrive on stirring shit up, so of course I find it boring. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I was just going to ask, since uh, I, I
4: think you and I share that in common, where often we want we want an enemy to conflict with, to inspire yes. us, if, is, does that enemy still exist for you? I mean, because there is no shit show down the street, right? There, Like, none of that exists. Yeah. So, what, um, no, so is not. it now just I mean, settling I, into
2: it and enjoying what you're doing,
4: you know? There or?
2: is. I genuinely, I mean... There's no enemy. I genuinely think – like Matt Griffin, I think he's a piece of shit, but I don't know that he's an enemy. Um, I just don't like him. So there's nothing that's ever going to happen where I like him. But I used to always want to try to make him look bad and punk him out, and I think he does a good enough job by himself doing that, so I don't do it anymore. Um, And there's no enemies. I mean, I I love David Manders. I love – I mean, people find this – People would call it the odd couple, but me and Rick Michaels are very close. Um, so, no, there's not an enemy. And, Steve, that's hard for me because I am an enemy guy. And it's interesting, like, back to the fight league, that's a whole other enemy thing. Cause those dudes will whoop your ass for real. And so, right. um, you know, that's, that's a whole other thing. And so Warren, my partner, has been like, hey, man, don't stir it up so much. And so I'm trying not to. And, and that's hard for me. This distillery thing, it's so political as you're trying to get zoning and federal licensing that you don't want to be some asshole. But, like, I want to go after every other distillery. And someone's like, you know those other distilleries are two hours away. They're not your enemy. And I'm like, oh, yeah, i got to reprogram my brain. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to fight with other distilleries. That's not what we do. You know? Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. that's just my nature is me against the world. And um, But I, I like I don't know that I'm maturing, but I like to think I'm maturing enough that I can be – just are secure enough, which I'm not. I'm probably not secure at all, but I'm trying to become secure enough and just that what we do is good enough. And um, overall, I think I'm doing good, and I think people are immune to me. I try to stir it up every now and then, and everybody just ignores it, so I'm like, what the is the point?
4: So yeah, like I mean, you you put out
2: the you put out the post today, going like, oh, finally
4: a tipping point worth watching, and then I had my snippy little comeback, and I was like, there's a time where that would have been a big deal,
1: <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> And now it's just,
2: <laughs> and now it's just like, oh, okay. So yeah, uh, I think that I think, and this was not a Southern Honor thing. So let me make this clear. I think though, four years ago, that's when AEW was starting. We came into Georgia. You were just starting your stuff. The the tapped out guys were starting their stuff. Action was just kind of starting, and they had their new. It was a lot of everyone marking their territory, and that mm-hmm. was fun. I, agree. I, I don't regret any of that. It was fun, but I think now we've all just settled into our routine. and And I'll say this: mutual respect. Again, as much as I I honestly do not like Matt Griffin, but I respect him. I think he's built a nice little thing there, and he's found his niche, and he's doing his thing, and it's not my thing. It's good for him. I, I think there's – it's just a good time of mutual respect, and to be honest with you, stuff like what you do with your, your full disclosure, it cut a lot of the petty, bullshit, garbage shit out that we used to make fun of. It's not around anymore.
4: You know? Yeah, So I'm almost regretful of that.
2: <laughs> like yeah, like,
4: like, I miss geez. it. You can't, you know, it's, I miss it's, shows it's, it's hard down. to be a promoter. It's hard to be a promoter that pathologically lies because now it's going to, you're yeah. going to get called out for it. And you're going to get vilified for it. If you're the face-to-face guy, you're going to get dragged all over the place and then that's it. So, I mean, in in a sense, that's good, but I mean, so, I mean, that's what I feel like was still here for, you know, and I looked at Larry's top 12 wrestlers, great list by the way. And so, you know, and you you felt the need to put even more people on as honorable mention. So we're looking at what was it, twenty seven people, Larry, on that 27. list. Twenty
3: seven, yeah, twenty seven.
4: And and you know what they all share in common? Almost all of them work for the big five, <laughs>
1: right.
4: <laughs> right? So like, right. there's no longer this thing of, with the exception of one guy who I definitely want to ask you about. So Gunnar Miller, it feels yes. like. That like, I said it and I meant it, which is he is the most successful baby face right now in wrestling, I feel like. And, I mean, I have to ask the obvious question and you may not know the answer to this. It felt like, okay, this is Gunnar Miller's time, and yet he's involved in a multi-man, you know, match at your biggest show of the year. Um, now I don't. I'm not privy to the booking, nor do I, nor should I be. But like, I mean, when
2: when is he going to get to arrive? Because it seems yeah, like this is the uh, natural time. Well, and, and I agree. So, and you know what I'm about to say is the truth. I have no idea our booking. Either. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I don't. I literally don't know. I couldn't tell you the result of one match this coming Friday. I don't know at all. Especially now that I'm so busy. I used to keep up with the direction we were headed. I don't even know the direction that we're headed right now. So I trust Dylan. Um, I think he's proven himself over and over and over. Um, I know what the initial plans were four months ago, and I know that they have changed. Um, I I don't know, but I understand what you're saying, and I think that time will come and – a lot of that has to do, I think, with how much longer Gunner wants to do this. Um, you know, Gunnar's going to be on our commentary team for the Fight League. And right. So um, he, he's going to be part of that. Me and Gunner are very close. And so it, I think gunners it, he's writing his own story right now of when he goes out and when he stays, you know.
3: I, I was just thinking, Gary, it must be kind of fun, the position you're in now. You You, you, you come to the show and you watch it unfold. I really do. So it's so funny you said that, Larry.
2: So the guys used to come up to me after the show, which I'm sure they went to every promoter, I don't know. And they'd be like, what did you think of my match? And I'd be like, I didn't watch your match. I I, I was working, you know. Now I don't know what's going to happen. And I catch myself, now that we're a little more fine-tuned machine on show night, I catch myself in the sound booth a lot watching shows. And this is – talk about eating crow. Like I have learned to love wrestling. Like I'm so excited for Chip Day and Kyle Matthews Friday. Yeah, Gary Lamb would not have been excited for that match four years ago. Um, I, that would not have been a, I, that would not have been up my alley. And I can't wait for that match. You know, and I can't wait to see what they do. I'm so impressed with their skill, and I, I love like. The fact that I'm a chip day, Mark, just blows my mind four years later, you know? <laughs> um. <laughs> or the fact that I have a Southern Honor team and Murder One's on it, you know? Uh, yeah. So, but I'll Great. tell you, just to prove my point, I had no idea who was on my team until I showed up last month. And I was like, I get a team this month, right? And he's like, yeah. I said, who, who's on that team? I knew Gunner would be on the team. I had no idea Tank was going to be on the team. I had no idea Murder was going to be on the team. So it's it's a little fun and it's a little refreshing and it's nice to know I mean I mean backstage I have Dylan and Todd like what more, who the hell am I to remotely give my opinion on what should happen with those two guys backstage
1: you know yeah. and
2: Logan is a big part of that backstage team too so I mean those guys know Fair what they're point. doing I, and I I I don't I don't need, I don't have time to worry about it and, and I think that's made me stay in a little bit longer. I, I, I'm enjoying it again. And um, during that COVID time, man, I, I kind of quit enjoying it for a little while. It, it became work. And now it's fun. It's it's kind of a, it's just a machine. It just kind of runs itself. I have to be careful in that area because it runs itself so much that I can quit doing my job, which is promoting. But I've also learned now that, for me, I've hit a stage where sometimes less is more in promoting. I can make one post about the event during the week that gets 200 likes, where before I made one every day and they all got 10 likes apiece. You know what I mean?
1: Right. And so
2: mm-hmm. it's a it's a weird line on, and I mean that's weird for Gary Lamb to say, but sometimes I'm learning it. I can say less and have more impact. <laughs> so you're just always trying to evolve, I guess. So um, let's let's get the logistics out of the way. How can how can people
4: get tickets and be a part of Still Here for? And uh, yeah. and the Fight League in January.
2: Yeah, so the Fight League tickets are not available yet. They will be. It'll be Elevate Fight, um, elevatefights.com when those go up, E-L-E-V, the number eight, Fights.com. Um, we'll probably have those up for sale in the next two weeks. But Southern Honor is real simple, man. People will start lining up for tickets probably around noon. We'll start selling tickets at 530. The doors open at 7, and the action starts at 8. And so it's first come, first serve. Um, we can hold a 1,000 people in that building, so you don't have to worry about us selling out. Sometimes the way we word that freaks people out if they're going to be there at the last minute. But um, when I get there to the building at 1130 Friday morning, there will already be people in line, and that's 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 odd to me. But it's kind of cool, too, you know? Yeah. Party. Larry. I- Larry, are we getting graced with your presence, or are you standing us up?
3: Well... Uh, Rob Rod uh, called this show Right after your last show He said I want, I'm, I'm, asking, I'm saying now That I want to go To the Southern Honor one And I said okay So I'm taking the back seat And, and going somewhere else Friday night Unfortunately In the sense of well, That I would really Like to see your Not that I won't see A good show But I would like To be at your show Hey I know you guys Are crunched for time Can
2: we talk about one thing The yeah. gym you guys Have in Duke Ingram That dude's reports Are insane Yeah He's good. How does he yeah. remember all of that? Also, I mean, he's a
4: great—he's a guy who was really wanted to be part of the scene. You know, he's sort of affiliated with that video game that I tore to shreds. <laughs> oh, I didn't
2: know he was affiliated with the video game.
4: Oh yeah, it's him and James, and so. Oh, I didn't um, know that. So you know, I tore that thing limb to limb, right? Because mostly because I was annoyed at the boys are like this is the fulfillment of my dream and all that bullshit, Yeah, it drove me crazy. So, So he got in contact with me, and it was like, I know I'm supposed to be mad. I know I'm not supposed to want anything to do with you, but he signed up for my Patreon. And then ever since then, it's been like, yeah, I do want you write? because my goal is to have a fleet of writers for Georgia Wrestling History, which has come to pass, and he's just great at it. Boy, he's a, he's Dude,
2: he a will write stuff and Dylan will call. he will write stuff, and Dylan will call me and be like, did you let him know what we're doing in a couple of months? I'm like, I don't even fucking know what we're doing in a couple of months. Well, how did he pick up on that? So <laughs> then I guess you're doing your job as a fucking booker by <laughs> dropping hints. I don't know, motherfucker. Like, yeah. the, the stuff he remembers blows my mind. And of course, he puts me well, over all the time too, so I'm big on that. <laughs>
3: I think he does some video of the shows when he's there, just for his own reference to help him, uh, you know, be, be, be more to, to catch all the detail. But yeah, he's he's incredible. We're so, we're, you know, I'm so glad to have him as part of Georgia yeah. wrestling. Of course, history. we Absolutely. love Rob
2: Rod too. He's just part of the family now, so oh, he yeah. just
3: walks in like he owns the place.
2: So, <laughs> well, gentlemen, thank you so much for having us. Yep, thank you.
4: Absolutely. Best of luck. with still here. Still here for is this Friday, and then that.
2: Yes, sir. Oh, man, it's
4: coming. It's coming in January. Uh, January fourteenth,
2: so, baby. It's going to be exciting. You need to come up for the night, Steve. I'll put you up.
4: I might. Do that. I know you got fifteen jobs.
2: You're like the Jamaican on, Liv- on living color. <laughs> I do. <Three laughs> you got all those up. jobs, man. <laughs>
3: so. well, well, guys, well, right I on, thank you
2: for four years of support. Thank you. Oh, thanks, man. Have a good night. Bye.
3: Bye. All right,
4: Larry. So, you know, Gary's on. Thank you, Gary Lamb, for being on. Talked about the fight week. talked about still here for. Um, but a lot of people know that we were going to talk about we're going to talk about Dan Masters. Um, so you said you were going to say what's up. Uh, so what's up?
3: So, um, unfortunately, uh... We did have Ben Masters lined up for tonight, and he, on his own, got in touch with Rob Van Dam. And Rob uh, knew uh, Dan for many years and said, yeah, I'll come on and um, be glad to to be part of it and talking about Dan. Um, Unfortunately, there's some things that have come up around the, um, the circumstances of Dan's death. And um, there's actually uh, an, an investigation of what's what occurred with his death. So out of respect to the family, both Ben and uh, Rob said they uh, were going to they, they did not want to do the show, which, you know, of course, I totally understood under the circumstances. So that's the reason they're not uh, they're not here. And that's the reason we, we're not we're not doing a, a thing about Dan.
4: And uh, that's totally understandable. I will say this. I mean, Dan masters is a guy who, I mean, it's safe to say he was our most frequent call in guest over these seven or eight years. And, uh, uh, Dan and I had sort of a, <laughs> sort of a, a friendly rivalry as it were, you know, we would snipe at each other, make jokes about each other and that kind of thing. But, um, He's a guy, I mean, I'll just, I, and I'm, only, I'm speaking for me, I guess, in order to cover us, whatever. I'm speaking for me. The, the ties that we have to an older wrestling world where you really embodied it, where it was really what your identity was entirely based on, where it was quality of life second, pro wrestling first, Um, those guys don't really exist anymore, but I think it's safe to say as young looking as he was, that Dan Masters was one of those guys. Uh, he was a dyed in the wool wrestling guy who got in the hard way, um, as a kid and stuck with it, always seemed to land on his feet, always found a way to get in on the next thing, whether it was wow or finding a way that, you know. IWN was paying him and flying him in. Like, he's a guy who is perpetually on the hustle, perpetually on the make, and was a goddamn great ring announcer on top of all of that. Um, And, you know, and then he was a good friend of yours. And you were the, Larry, you were the first person I thought of when I heard, I mean, when you called me that morning, I just immediately went, that is, uh, you know, I just, my, I feel so badly for the people that were, in his inner circle who loved him. And uh, I know that he loved you. Um, and, you know, he, he, he admired you. And I know that that's a huge blow. Um, so, yeah, that's what I wanted to and say he, about Dan
1: Masters.
3: And, and he loved to give me shit about, it was always, yeah you know, you're getting soft in what you write and stuff, you know, stuff like that. And, uh, and, and you know, I, one person I heard from, uh, after Dan died was Vordell Walker. There was a period when Dan and Vordell were very tight. you know they for a period Dan lived in savannah uh Vordell was in Savannah, and he hadn't been in touch with um Dan in a number of years, but um it certainly touched him to um know that Dan was gone and, and um yeah yeah um you know one thing about dan you, he he always um wore a suit. Um, and he would be a guy would show up to to do uh, if they were doing a TV taping. He'd have a change of clothes, of course, so he didn't wear the same suit coat in the in the second hours he did in the first. And he, you know he got, he got in a lot of places because he wore a suit. He got in the Rick Flair uh, last match thing. Got backstage because he had his suit on and just kind of looked like he belonged to <laughs> <laughs> He looked
4: apart so much, nobody dared question him.
3: Right. I mean, right. What, I-
4: what, what 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 further testimony does there need to be about what a dyed-in-the-wool wrestling guy he was that he could just yeah. carry that backstage at you know the most attended in the event probably we're going to see this decade
3: <laughs> yeah and, and, and went to the bar and hung out with Flair's group afterwards he said the thing he learned about Flair was you know as long as you don't ask for autographs and and you look good you, you're dressed well then you can hang around and you know you keep your mouth shut and if you do those things you can hang around with it if you want to <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, that was uh, yeah. He was he was something else. I, you know, Ben Masters put it so well. He was the youngest old school guy he knew. Yeah, uh, Because absolutely. he started so he started so young, and knew all those old school guys. And that's the way he came that's what he learned at such a young age. Those old school ways. But he adapted as we as we all have to, right?
4: Um, I, I, the first time I really met, or I mean, I may have met him before, but the first time I talked to uh, talked to Dan was he came to Sacred Ground 2. And that's when we <laughs> did it in that, like, mega church, right? That's when, like, that was the wild and wooly Wild West years of Sacred Ground, right? where we just keep jumping venues and there's the shows were crazy and wild. And uh, because uh, Vordell was on the card, right? <clears throat> Vordell had a match against Danny Only, I believe. And so after the card, and, you know, all kinds of crazy stuff happened on that show. That's when we had the cage, and so, you know, the girls fell off the top of the cage, and,
1: yeah, you know, yeah.
4: we had all this crazy stuff happen, and we, and we honored um, Thunderbolt Patterson, right? And so that's when, like, every hot chick I knew helped with the shows, right? <laughs> so I just had all these 20-something girls running around doing different things and getting money from here and, you know, selling shirts and just everything like that. And so, you know, I'm talking to Vordell after the show, and Dan Dan kind of comes up to me and goes, oh, you know, I'm Dan. I'm like, oh, I know. You know, we shake hands and talk for a little while. And then he just goes, he goes, platinum? (laughs) If I had known that this is where all the hot tail was, I'd have to talked to you a year ago.
1: <laughs>
4: he goes, nobody told me, brother. Nobody told me, and I laughed so hard, you
3: know. <laughs> so another thing about that show was I don't know how this happened, but somehow he wound up doing a uh, a, a stand up uh, interview with Adam Pierce, and he was the interviewer. And they needed somebody to film it, or to be stand there with the camera, not really film it. So I was the guy who stood there with the camera. And so we were getting ready to do it, and Pierce looks at Dan. He says, "Take your shoes off,"
1: because he was
3: taller than Pierce. <laughs> <laughs> so you don't do the interview with his, sho- <laughs> his shoes off.
4: <laughs> Again, how old school is that? You know, and I, I thought of Dan when I'm. Um- you know, WoW had its big television premiere, and I found out it's yeah. on Channel 27 here in um, Orlando. And so, you know, now it's in my queue, and I'll, I'll record all of them and that kind of thing. And I thought, oh, you know, the only guy who can out McLean, McLean,
1: <laughs> The only Because,
4: <like laughs> I mean, McLean is a survivor in this wrestling business. Whatever people want to say about him, whatever people want to think about him, That guy just finds a way. And I think, you know, Nigel Sherrod is a big supporter of WoW and constantly messages me about it and all that kind of stuff. But, I mean, you know, like Dan, I think, again, I mean, it's weird to say, but... Are you really a thing if Dan wasn't involved at some point and then got fired or moved on?
1: <laughs> I mean
3: who who in who in twenty twenty two can get flown into ring announce? And get paid. And get get put up. <laughs> but he did it.
4: He did. And he he was, was he was he was something else. I mean, how did you I mean, I, I know we gotta go soon, but how did you even really get get uh, have a friendship? Like, how did that get established between you and he?
3: So when he when um, Bill Barron's did the uh, tribute to him at Southern Fried, he talked about Dan coming to Wildside and doing announcing. Which I'd forgotten all about that—that that he actually, you know, God, that, guy, that guy announced everywhere, everywhere. So he did—he did some Friday night shows and was like the the uh, the ring the ring announcer guy uh, outside the ring doing intros um, sometimes on some shows. But what I remember is he came in as a teenager managing Southside Trash, and he was so goddamn obnoxious. And I, whatever I wrote about him that he got in touch with me and that's how it started and you know and we just started going back and forth back and forth and of course i'd everywhere i go i'd see him right i mean after after that he started showing up everywhere um you know yeah. he's on dusty shows and, and and all that and oh yeah yeah he did he did he did it all so he would um he would often like call and leave these messages. If he didn't get me when I I didn't answer the phone, he'd leave these funny messages on my phone um, until we talked the next time. And the last one I got from him, although I, d- I did talk to him when he was in Belize, a couple weeks before that he um, had missed me and he left one of his messages. And it really um, struck me what he said in that message and um i i thought i'd play it on the on the way out um just to hear some some classic words from uh and a farewell from Dan Masters. Yeah. So, so
4: i i think it's a it's a great time to do that. So um thank you to Gary Lamb for being on. Uh you know for Larry Goodman, I'm uh, Stephen Platinum. and uh rest in peace Dan Masters and um this has been the tipping point. So let's let's hear from Dan Masters. I you know this message is it's fantastic, fantastic.
0: LG, just wanted to shoot the shiz with you. It's a Saturday afternoon in lonely Long Beach, ninety four degrees. We got a heat wave going down, and the rumor on the streets: I'll be back in Georgia soon. So. I want to let you know good too, all those jabronis at Georgia wrestling history. I'm not yet dead and I could be in your face before you know it. Anyway, further developments and in 17 days, if you call me, you'll get me and you'll get charges to do internationally. Belize city, Belize, and San Salvador or Salvador, depending on what day you connect. So I suggest that you not make that mistake, because that could be a very expensive transaction. That's all I got. With a glare in my eye, as soon as I get home, I'm going to spit shine that announcer of the year award. I go to bed by six o'clock, because I may not be a senior citizen. Collecting a fund from the U.S. government, but in my heart, and in my body, and wear and tear, I'm damn near in my 80s. Talk to you soon, Larry Goodman. Be well, and certainly, beyond a shadow of a doubt, be a whole lot better man than Stephen Platinum. You can call (laughs) him a man. Ultra MAGA, signing out. Hold it against me. You never have. Doubtful you ever will. Love you, Larry.
4: <sighs> this has been the tipping point.
0: Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring.
1: A laundry. Oh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh?
0: Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba
2: Casino. <laughs>